The opinions and viewpoints expressed in .NET Rocks are not necessarily those of its sponsors or of Microsoft Corporation, its partners, or employees. .NET Rocks is a production of Franklin's Net, which is solely responsible for its content. Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter. Hey, Rockheads! Quit checking in JPEGs of the Hubble telescope and listen up. It's time for another stellar episode of .NET Rocks, the internet audio talk show for .NET developers with Carl Franklin and Richard Campbell. This is Lawrence Ryan announcing show number 238 with guests Eric Sink and Martin Woodward, recorded live Tuesday, April 17th, 2007. .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net. Training developers to work smarter. And now, bringing the just-in-time team system class with Joel Semeniak on-site for your development team. Online at www.franklin.net. Support is also provided by Telerik. Combining the best in Windows forms and ASP.NET controls with first-class customer service. Online at www.telerik.com. And by Code Magazine the leading independent magazine for .NET developers. Online at www.code-magazine.com. And now, the man who's all synced up and ready to go, Carl Franklin. Thank you very much, Lawrence, and welcome back to .NET Rocks. It's Carl and Richard here as we are twice a week. This is being the twice of this week, our show. Feeling very twice-ish today. I'm feeling very (laughs) (laughs) twice-ish. Twain, twice, twy. We will twy to have a good show today. Yeah, I like to twy to do that every day. All right. Hey, uh, did you have a good uh, Mother's Day? Of course I had a good Mother's Day. Yeah, did you do some nice things for your for your wife? I sent a lot of flowers. Awesome. And the mother-in-law. And the mother-in-law. And, and the mom. And the mom. You got to send them all. Yep, all the women in your life. That's right. Well, I know it's Thursday and it was Sunday, but, you know, what the heck, we didn't say anything about it on Tuesday, so I figured I'd throw that in there. Hey, we got this great uh, email from Ben Murray. He says, uh, hey, guys, with two shows a week, I've been a little behind. Uh, We don't need any personal details, Ben, but that's okay. But I recently (laughs) finished listening to show 232 with Jeff Atwood. Wow, great discussion topic. You should do more shows like this. And you know what I love about emails like this? What's that? Every time that somebody really, really likes a show, they tell us that you should do more shows like that. Yeah. You know, as if, if it's a, as if it's a problem, right? <laughs> well, now it makes a valid point because Jeff's show was not on a specific technology so much as we talked fairly wide ranging about development methodology. Yeah, and, it was great. Yeah, it was very much talking about being a programmer. But we love to mix it up here at .NET Rocks. Yeah. We do a little of this, we do a little of that, a little Microsoft, a little geek, a little serious, serious scientific nerdiness once in a while. Anyway, he goes on to say, not that the other shows are subpar, but it was nice to hear a show about some of the root issues of programming, not just about new technology. Don't get me wrong, I do find .NET Rocks a great source for what technology is out there getting used and what is on the way, but it was a nice break to have a show I can fully relate to and didn't need a high level of field knowledge to follow. Someone with a young career like mine, I have not been exposed to or been in a company that used some of the technologies or products that are being brought up in the discussion. Anyway, enough of my two cents. Keep up the good work. As I understand a required part on sending you guys email, I now plead my case for swag. <laughs> and he says S-H-W-A-G. Ah. You know, that, that means something else, buddy. And we, we are not allowed to send that to you. Sorry. But I will send you some swag. He says, and this is his case, I hungrily read through the developer's bill of rights. I wish I lived in such a country with so much freedom and high standards for all. Does <laughs> such a land exist? And if so, can I hop the border? Actually, it'd be pretty tough because they're just building a fence down there, I think. <laughs> <laughs> 
As the only developer in my group, I do not get any special developer privileges. I work in a 6x8 cube with half walls. I have one 17-inch CRT monitor and an older PC. I've asked for larger monitors, but to no avail. Even if my current monitor or computer would happen to have an accident, (laughs) it would not be upgraded, only replaced with similarly old technology. P.S. After this show, I ordered myself a copy of Code Complete, Ben. Well, good, Ben. Good for you. Yes, definitely. Give that book to your boss when you're done reading it. Or the uh, the Project Manager's Handbook is another one of uh, Steve McConnell's great books. So have that one and pass it over to him. I really I enjoyed the show with Steve McConnell, and I definitely enjoyed Jeff Atwood too. We'll we'll just keep doing them. I'm, you keep it, listening. It gives me a heads up to make sure we get one of those at least every month. Yep. All right, here's an email from Chris Howell. Hi, Rich and Carl. And I, I want you to know, he put them in that order. Well. So I'm feeling special today. You are special. <laughs> <laughs> I just recently discovered .NET Rocks, and I absolutely love it. I am a software engineer currently working for a company in Kingston, Ontario. That's in Canada, if you know. Yeah. Our product has developed into a native C++ C-sharp hybrid application with the use of Swig. And if you haven't heard of Swig, it's at swig.org, and it's a tool set for allowing C, C++, and C-sharp or higher, other higher-level languages to get along. I love listening to your show while working on some code. Most of your stuff, especially with Kate Gregory, was hilarious, not to mention informative. Yeah. We're heavy into the digital earth field, and I'm currently working on the digital earth reference model. I didn't know we needed a reference model personally, but okay. Working for such a young startup company right out of school has been incredibly exciting. I didn't realize how much I didn't actually know until I started coding myself. After a year and a bit, I look back at the code that I wrote when I was in school, and it just hurts. It almost brings me to tears. Even a year ago, I look back, and it's like, WTF were you thinking? (laughs) (laughs) Try looking at code from 10 years ago and see how you feel about it. And I thought I was a good developer coming out of school. Man, was I wrong. Mm. I can hardly wait to look back on my code five and then 10 years from now to see the difference. Anyway, I work with a great group of guys here at Pixis Innovation, all of whom are very knowledgeable, and I'm just eating up the .NET Rock shows and trying to gulp down the knowledge that I am learning. I was hoping that after I was done school, I'd be done learning. However, it's true that your degree is written in disappearing ink, yeah. and the only way to keep it valid is to keep learning and reading. Yeah. Anyway, I am writing you to let you know I love the live show where I can connect to a live stream and just listen to it all day while working away. Keep up the good work, and I'm looking forward to a live show. Wow. Chris Howell. You now, know, Chris, we did that once. We had a a stream that we just kept broadcasting shows in. I don't, it wasn't random order. Maybe it was random order, but, you know, with so many shows, we could just do that, you know? Wow, so if you just wanted to listen shows, all You could just keep running them and then running them and then we just keep going. And, of course, the stuff we're talking about doing live is streaming the raw feed, which is when you'd listen to us actually creating a show. Right. And believe me, we don't sound near as smart making a show as we do on a finished product. That's right. You get but, to hear all the flubs and edit points and all of that stuff. And us teasing each other a lot. So it's a very different creature uh, to what we were talking about. But it's an interesting idea to actually put up a stream of shows all the time. Yeah. Um, you know, it wasn't very popular when we first did it. I think Marcus Egger was the only one listening. <laughs> he really he really loved the idea, and he listened to it a lot. But uh, who knows? Maybe we could do that. I mean, it's certainly something that's programmable, you know? Yep. Well, uh, let's uh, turn on the special .NET Rocks Code Camp announcement music. Woohoo! Uh, we have some code camps to announce this weekend, Saturday, May 19th, the West Michigan Day of .NET, which you can read about at shrinkster.com slash n1h. Also, the Philly.NET code camp at shrinkster.com slash oi7. And the Front Range Denver code camp, or the Front Range code camp in Denver, Colorado, you can read about at shrinkster.oqo, also Saturday, three in a row. Right, three on that weekend, and then you jump a few ahead a few weeks to June twenty third and the Raleigh Code Camp at shrinkster.com slash O one seven. And Greg Brill at Infusion is still sucking up dot net rocks listeners down in New York. 
I think he's got like 10 of them now from our from our listener base. Wow. Yep. And uh, the deal is, if you want to work for a great company in Manhattan and live rent-free for a year in the city and work on some great stuff, go to shrinkster.com slash kh6 to read about those details. And on that note, let's introduce Eric and Martin. Eric Sink graduated in 1990 from the University of Illinois with a degree in computer science. After living for a year in Spain, he spent five years at Spyglass, where he led the group that developed the web browser, later to become known as Internet Explorer. Woohoo! In 1997, Eric left Spyglass and founded SourceGear, which is now a leading vendor of version control tools. In 2002, SourceGear was honored by Inc. Magazine, that's I-N-C, as one of the 500 fastest-growing private companies in America. And by the way, I said I-N-C just in case you thought it was about Inc. (laughs) (laughs) Martin Woodward is a team system MVP who works in the team prize division of SourceGear. He's part of the team responsible for creating the Java clients to Visual Studio Team Foundation Server, which allow you to access TFS from within the Eclipse IDE or even from Mac, Unix, and Linux machines. Before joining Team Prize, Martin consulted as a lead developer and solutions architect for many Fortune 50 and FTSE 100 companies around the world, as well as working within the government sector. During this time, Martin was responsible for introducing source control best practices, development methodologies, and continuous integration techniques to the wider development community in those organizations. Please welcome Eric Sink and Martin Woodward. How are you guys? Hey there. Very good. Thank you. Welcome to the show. Welcome back, Eric. Glad to be back. So the story is about how we got the show together is that shortly I we Eric, you came on the show to talk. I think it was really about micro ISV is what right. I wanted to talk about more than anything else. But yeah. I know we ranged all over the place. And right after that show was published in early March, I get this email from one James Green. And the subject was .NET Rocks 0, Missed Opportunity 1. <laughs> I remember that. And he went on to say, I'm a continuous integration nut, and I can't believe that you had Eric Sink on the show and didn't talk about continuous integration at all. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, very well, James. You know, this is for you. This one's I, for you, man. I contacted Eric, and he suggested Martin, so we brought him on to talk continuous integration. And here we are. The show dedicated to James Green. Right. So, it's all about source control, isn't it? Well, yeah. I mean, it's um, it starts with using source control, and um, good grief if you're listening to the show and you're not using source control, then you good know. grief. <laughs> yeah. There's uh, though I still run across a remarkable number of people uh, that are not using source control, even on Teams. It's nuts. Uh, I don't uh, I don't understand how you cope. Um, I couldn't. <laughs> But, yeah, it starts with source control. I sort of see continuous integration as, you know, once people figured out that the source control was there and it worked and they could count on it, then they sort of ramped up the speed to, you know, the stuff that they used to do before source control, just like continuously putting out builds and haphazardly, oh, I'll write this one feature, check that in, and and just sort of, you know, trying to keep the the, the golden master always up to date. But, you know, with all this stuff going on in the back end to check things and test things and do all this automation. Is that a pretty good summary summarization of what uh, continuous integration is? Well, you know, it is for me. I, I mean, when I think about continuous integration, I just think about wanting to know earlier when I screwed something up. Yeah. So yeah. it's all a question of how often do you, you do bills. It seems like, you know, when we started, I think back early on in my career, bills didn't happen all that often. You know, uh, the radicals were talking about daily and weekly builds. Yeah, and I, I was in that camp too. And only one guy knew how to do the build, the build master. Oh, that's right. Yeah, one guy. It wasn't none of it was automated. Um, yeah. And if you if you think about the progression that we're on as an industry, we should be concerned because we went from one guy knowing how to do builds once a week to now we do builds constantly and every single change we check in, the continuous integration server does a build and yells at us. If we take this to its logical conclusion, there's going to be a day when we check in something that breaks and somebody's going to come smack us upside the head with a hammer. (laughs) (laughs) But that's good. You know, quick is good. You know, you want to know right away. I think the key there is to, you've got to have your build automated first. You know, a lot of people don't even have that yet. A lot of people just have, you know, Hit, um, build inside Visual Studio, 
and um, and, and and take those DLLs and X copy them over to some server somewhere. And that's normally, like you say, the one guy who can you know who knows how to do this voodoo and who has the right stuff installed in his machine. Guys, when did continuous integration become a thing? Like, I, you know, as most things in this industry, the first time I heard about it was from Scott Hanselman. But, um, you know, before that, I mean, how long has this been around as a as a technology that people are focusing on, this build automation stuff? Mark, do you know? Yeah, that's Martin Fowler um, from Fortworks, who originally um, sort of started talking about this as part of the uh, Extreme Programming Manifesto. Um, it, if you go to shrinkster.com slash um, O1J, Oscar 1 Juliet, that's the uh, original paper. You can just check the date on it there, probably. Um, that's, I don't know, is that like 96? Let's see if there's a date on it. I know you updated it recently. Okay. But, um, it's been popular in the Java world for quite a while, and obviously sort of my heritage was coming from the Java world, you know, with... Um, Ant and Ant-type builds and all those sorts of things. And the original cruise control server, so that was the original sort of one of the first cruise uh, continuous integration servers. Wow, September 2000. Wow. That's, uh, I was actually thinking it would be, uh, was going to be 96 or something like that, so there you go. Well, certainly in the .NET space, it hasn't really caught fire until just a few years ago. Don't you think that's fair? Oh, I think, I mean, two years ago, maybe three. Yeah. I don't know, it's... It uh, it isn't it wasn't mainstream yeah. and, until it seems like quite recently when now everybody I run across is using CruiseControl.net. Yeah, mm. and if you look at I mean even in in Team System, um, you know in their version one they didn't sort of see enough people doing continuous integration to to think to have the team build server that was in version one do continuous integration. That's something that people have to do. You know. Um, themselves add add that onto Team System. It's only yeah. in the the AUKUS release where they're actually bringing continuous integration in as a as a first class citizen. So Team System is integrating uh, continuous integration into the product. Yeah, so that's coming in the um, in the AUKUS, you know, codename AUKUS version. It's um, coming out hopefully, you know, reasonably soon. There's a, a CTP available you can download currently. It's got the continuous integration features in there, and that makes it. You know, super easy to if you if you're one of the team system people. If you you know if you subscribe to that way of the world, then you can just go in and you know right click on a project and turn it into a, a build. And by default, it's it sort of lures you into going into a continuous integration. You, you can pick the type of you know do you want it to fire on every single check in or or to batch up a bunch of check ins within say ten minutes and then build all of those. So. That's coming in Orcus, though. Not, no, not when you say version. when you say it's coming in Orcus, is this coming out of Microsoft, or is this something that you guys yeah. are sort of plugging in, or what's the relationship no, that, that, there? That's coming out of the team. So, um, Book Hodges is a guy that runs that team. Well, he's, you know, team leader on that um, over at Microsoft, and um, he's blogged about it quite extensively and done some videos on on how to do that. You bring up a salient point that even as recently as. 2004, when they were really defining the rules around what was going to be in Studio 2005 and Team System, they didn't see cruise, they didn't see continuous integration as that important. It seems to me that CruiseControl.net really put uh, CI into the into focus for .NET developers. Yeah, that was uh, first on on uh, Hanselman's list of continuous integration products was CruiseControl.net. Well, here's here's a couple of strings to links for you then. So um the so Book Hodges blog is um Oscar to Mike O two M and then uh cruisecontrol.net um page is shrinkster.com slash O one I Oscar one indigo. So uh cruise control is obviously um there was a cruise control which was the Java project uh to do a continuous integration and then cruisecontrol.net is like, you know, one of the end series of products. It's written again and maintained by the some of the guys at Fortworks. Um, and then taken forward and, and turned up very much into its own beast. Um, and it, you know, it's a very good product. I've been using that now for you know, quite a few years and it's, uh, yeah, it's great. It plugs into all the source control systems out there. Um, and it can use different ways of doing a build. So, um, we were saying what's continuous integration, you know, it's basically just a, a big, you know, when we were kids used to walk into our, when I was a kid, it's, uh, I used to walk into a computer store and, um, and type like, uh, you know, 10, print, Martin is cool, 20, go to 10. <laughs> well, continuous integration is just uh, 10, um, check to 
see if anything's changed recently. Uh, 20, if if it has, run a build, yeah. and then 30, go to 10. You know, it's a very simple build loop. Like how you guys are using basic there, for example. That's nice. <laughs> well, you know, it's not even, not even visual basic, yeah. <laughs> it's line numbers. You still do line numbers in VB? I don't know. You probably can. You can. You you know, and the, this dirty little secret in VBNet is you can still do go-tos if you want to. And of course, I don't recommend it. And I don't know anybody who does, so hey, don't write guys, me any letters. GoTo just got added to TransSQL in SQL 2005. So <laughs> the the hey, pain I, I don't is know spreading. About you guys, but basic without GoTo's just feels wrong. <laughs> <laughs> you know? <laughs> I mean, I think of those terms, terms as nearly synonymous. I don't Oh, <laughs> man. I haven't coded basic since my Commodore 64, though, so. <laughs> All right, so cruisecontrol.net apparently is just a three-line basic program. Uh, <laughs> the real element, key element to this whole concept of continuous integration is the automated build. Yeah. Yeah, that, that line, this, line 20 was do a build. You yeah, know? that's and, the whole thing, isn't it? That used to yeah. be somebody's job. <laughs> There's a lot of stuff in there. I mean, that assumes that you're already at the point, like Martin was saying earlier, you got to be at the point where you can make a build in one step. And sometimes it's hard hard to get to that case you know yeah that's your first problem if you if you can't make a build in one step then continuous integration is is just you're not ready you guys sort of take a wiki approach to continuous integration right like shared edits and no locks what what's that all about well that's i mean um basically you know i would say most modern source control systems man that sounded kind of like a pejorative but <laughs> um, and when you and when you and the only thing you've got in the non-modern is vss right well you know that's VSS, really what we're anything else about. i can't think of another one off the top of my head no <laughs> um, most modern source control tools nice. allow multiple people to, to edit a file at the same time and and the fact is that when you go down that path um you basically increase the concurrency of your team. You know, you know, we're coming into in the CPU era, we're coming into the multiple core era and the mini core era, and um, basically, you know, we're we're starting to think about concurrency in our software more. Well, this allows you to think about concurrency in your team. Um, you don't want locks. You don't want semaphores. You don't want things that make it so that only one person can work at a time because then everybody else is, you know, down in the kitchen drinking coffee. So that means that the 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 build tool has to be smart enough to know what changes were made by this guy and what made changes made by that guy and sort of merge them together. But that all happens actually before the build tool ever gets it. So your build tool is doing nothing more than waiting around for your source control to say, "Hey, something changed." Sure. So this is really we're talking about at the compile. That's right. Yeah. And when, when the source control reports that something has changed, it does so with a warranty that something has changed in a safe way. And if it isn't safe, it's the bonehead who checked it in's fault. Right. Well, to be fair, it's like most modern source control systems do that. There's always a problem with source safe that it, it didn't work inside a little transaction, inside an atomic commit. Oh, that's true. So, um, so cruisecontrol.net's actually got a feature built in that you can make it wait for sort of 20 seconds after it's detected a change and then, and then look again. Uh, to make sure the check-in's finished. Really? Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's quite wow. Cool. I'm actually just, quite just, sad. Just to work around source safe. Yeah, it's the VSS delay. Yeah, but there's a lot of people still using VSS out there. So, uh, yeah. The fact that I know that now diminishes me. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and source safe's got some other lovely things in it as well. Like, um, if you rename a file, you know, then it renames it on the server there, and then you can't batch up a rename. And so, if you rename a file, it's renamed. You know, for everybody, and so uh, it might be you didn't want to commit that rename yet, but you got you have no choice. You see, you've forgotten how hard it is to work with source safe. There, you've been you've been working with Vault too long. Well, and I, that was an intentional forget. And Spoiled. You're dredging it up. <laughs> yeah, I meant to forget that. Well, speaking of things that I've forgotten, what's the what is the um, the source control tool that everybody uses at the command line, and it's old. It's been around forever. CVS. Yeah, that's it. So, so what's uh, is CVS in that list of non-modern source control things, or is does is that actually keeping up with the times? I would call tell, Martin. Tell me if this is fair. I would call CVS quasi-modern because at least it has the the edit merge commit metaphor, um, where you, you don't more have modern a, than source safe. Yeah, more modern than source safe. 
But what CVS does not have that Martin just mentioned was atomic transactions. And that's a, I mean, that's a problem. You know, I mean, CVS's replacement is subversion. And right. uh, there again, if you're on CVS and you're listening to the show, you really should think hard about getting on subversion because subversion is, is just a darn fine tool. Um, it's open source. It's yeah. designed specifically to replace CVS, and, and it's a happy transition from everybody I know who's made the change. So, so tell us just briefly about atomic transactions. Well, I mean, atomic transactions are what you think they are if you're familiar to with database terminology. Basically, what you want to be able to do is say, I'm making a change to the repository, and, I, and my change actually has a number of sub-changes within it. Maybe I changed six files and renamed two. And... But I want these eight changes to be viewed as one change. I want them atomic. They either need to all succeed or all fail. Sure. And so my repository cannot be in a half-baked state because four of my changes happened right before the power outage. Okay. So you want them to be atomic. And that's, you know, that's what Subversion does. Vault does that. You know, well, frankly, most modern source control tools have atomic check-ins. So the, the only one that doesn't is VSS again. Is this right? So VSS and CVS both, neither one. Right, you just said CVS didn't have that, sure. And I, I could probably name some more that don't, but... Well, one of the key things really with source control is, is not to mess everybody else up on your team. And one of the key things with cruise control is, is not to not to break the build, not to check something in that makes the build go, you know, that breaks it, that makes the little red light go red. Um, and the problem with, with things like, with some of the tools like source safe is that is breaking the build is sometimes something you have to do, you know, if you rename a file, until you've checked in all the changes which point to that renamed file, um, that they are, they are, you know, the build is broke at that point in time. So by having an atomic um, transaction of check-in, you know, the atomic commit, um, that means that you, you, you now have no excuse to break the build anymore, you know. So you, you really do deserve a dunce's hat if you do break the build. Okay, um, before we go any further, let's, uh, let's get back to just uh, the idea of continuous integration. What are the things that a really sophisticated continuous integration server tool like cruisecontrol.net will do other than just build and continuously put out builds and tell you if something's wrong? What are some of the, what are some of the features? So, um, in, first of all, it can hook into a bunch of different source control systems. So if you look at um, cruisecontrol.net, for instance, for source control, you know, you can have source safe, um, you can have um, vault, you can have PVCS, subversion, uh, team system, uh, um, all, all those things you can plug in to the, as source control providers. Um, you can also do um, crazy stuff like you can, um, like, like we said, you can wait 30 seconds after it's detected a change and then check again. Uh, you can ignore certain files. So maybe you want to look at um, the root of your repository, but you actually want to ignore, say, the documentation directory because changing something in the docs directory of your source control doesn't, you don't want to force a rebuild on that. Well, you sure. can do that with increased control. And then in the build step, the build then, it can link, to, again, it's pluggable. So you can link to what, uh, you can do a build by calling something like NANT, which is a scripting language to write builds, or MS Build, which is Microsoft's version of NANT. Mm-hmm. And then, you, or you could just link to say, um, you know, you can fire up uh, um, Visual Studio DevEnv.exe. You can fire that up at the command line and tell it to do a build. That's a task in Cruise Control as well. And then and the next step is the thing known as publishers. Uh, a publisher um, tells everybody what's wrong. You know, if, if somebody breaks a build, it can send an email out to the team and say, hey, you know. And the uh, CTO. Eric broke the build again. And the customer. Uh, yeah, and their wives. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. I, I like the one where they wired it up to the huge siren. So the moment the build broke, the build machine just erupted. Right, strobe lights, <laughs> things lava like lamps, that. That's lava lamps. Yeah, yeah, it's all all cool. And and the, with say cruise control, one of the I mean, it's open source. So that's really cool. And um, and cruise control and cruise control. And the other advantage of them is that they're completely pluggable. They've got a really nice plugin model, and the cruise control plugin model especially is very good. And, you know, it does lots of sort of dynamic loading of the of plug-in assemblies. So you can write plugins into that if you want to extend the system at all. Most of the time, you can just take it off a shelf and maybe, for instance, pull in somebody else's plugin. So, I, for instance, I wrote the um, the plugin which integrates the Team Foundation server. 
um, and that's available. And you can download that and plug that into KushControl.net and then use KushControl.net as your as your build server, if you like. And uh, of course, you, you, did you mention tests like uh, end unit tests? Yeah. So um, as part of the build process, you can specify what you want to do. So initially, you probably just want to make sure it compiles. You know, that's yeah. the, the reason why continuous integration is good. Is you know how many times have you, have you come to your desk in the morning and and done a get late, you know, done a get latest, and and like somebody broke the code sort of thing. You're like, ah, oh, and then you have got to spend ten minutes fixing their bug before you, or just just to comment out some of their stuff before you can actually get to start your work to get start your you know the bit of code you want to work on. So um, the first thing you need to do is, uh, yeah, get the build working and can do a compilation. Does it compile? Check. And uh, and even if that's all you do, if that's the only thing your build process does is just is just check everything compiles. You probably there's some people that will get value out of that. Will get value out of cruise control just by making sure it's always the the repository always compiles. Right. Know, it depends on your team. Well, and, and the make? whole point about detecting that it doesn't compile immediately after somebody's check-in cuts down on a lot of finger-pointing as to where the problems lie. What about requiring people to have uh, to have their code pass their own tests before they check them in? Is that a good thing to do, or is it good to do the tests at, at the server? We do that here. It's, I mean, when you check in a code change to, to Vault, what's going to happen is our cruise control.net server is going to rebuild Vault from scratch and run the entire test suite. We're pretty pretty brutal about it, actually. So if you check in something that doesn't compile, um, you get blamed. And if you check in something that breaks the test suite, you get blamed just the same way. Hmm. Although, you know, in the former case, you're going to look a little dumber. Um, <laughs> but the bottom line is, um, to do a check into Vault, you need to build Vault, and probably you ought to run the test suite <laughs> before you make your check-in. Now, we don't all do that on every single darn check-in, because we know the difference between what might break and what won't most of the time but that's what the ci server is there for to to sit around and tell us when we missed something so are you ready for the big news telerik is taking the wraps off four new product updates rad controls for ASP.NET, rad controls for WinForms, the first official version of the telerik reporting tool and a brand new suite codenamed rad controls prometheus and you guys think i don't sleep Telerik's tools have always been great, but I think this time they've outdone themselves. Well, here are the details. Prometheus is built on top of Microsoft ASP.NET Ajax, and it'll become the successor of RAD controls for ASP.NET. Just as ASP.NET Ajax will be the future of ASP.NET, RAD controls Prometheus represents the future direction of all new Telerik development tools. This new suite of controls will also pave the way for seamless integration with Microsoft Silverlight, formerly WPFE. The WinForms suite aims for the stars with powerful new grid, chart, and tree view controls. For me, it seems like a major player on the WinForms market. Another intriguing addition to Telerik's portfolio this spring is Telerik Reporting. The product introduces a new level of development experience, which Telerik collectively calls easeability, a naturally intuitive mouse-only approach to generating Windows, Web, and PDF reports. And if that's not enough, go to www.telerik.com to check out what's new with Telerik's renowned RAD controls for ASP.NET. Is there like an element of peer pressure? In a cruise control shop, I mean, you know, where where you have it running and, you know, the sirens go off and all that kind of stuff and everybody uh, looks around. Oh, yeah. Does yeah. it make we, people... We used to have a thing called the Build Monkey, which was a little soft toy um, that we used to have sort of... The, the, the last guy to break the build used to have to own the Build Monkey. And <laughs> the Brilliant. And shame. So it so, puts some subtle pressure on people to pay a little more attention to detail. I guess, well, we, or be ridiculed by your peers. <laughs> sometimes it's more than ridicule. I mean, we've had uh, various projects I've been on through the years. We've had different penalties for breaking the build. I mean, sometimes you're a build monkey. Sometimes you're buying donuts for the whole team. But you know, oh. we kind of all got fat. And the, <laughs> uh, you're not while, supposed to incentivize a, breaking the build. <laughs> yeah, we had a jar. You had to stick a dollar in every time you broke it. Nice. You know, stuff like that. So, but mostly it's just the social ridicule. Right. 
Right, which is bad enough. Well, you've got to make your development environment fun, haven't you? So, yeah. yeah, being able to ridicule your friends, making chase up your day. <laughs> yeah, I would definitely be giving out at the end of a, of a cycle, giving out award for fewest breaks and an award for most breaks. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good idea. You were talking as well, Carl, about what um, what the more advanced build servers have. Something like Cruise Control and Cruise Control on that actually gives you reports about build breakages and percentages of build breakages and things like ah. that. So you can you know, identify if you have a particular problem with a person or a team of people. So basically, you know, if you're a manager of developers, you could just go in, wire it all up, cruise control the reports, and just sit back and just watch what happens from your desktop without having to have all these meetings about, uh, you know, what the state of the build is. That's kind of nice. Yeah, it's green. It's good. It's good. That's the whole point of continuous centration. It's almost like spyware. You guys just, right. You know, it's not really spyware, but you're just kind of watching your team, and as soon as something goes wrong, you know that it went red. Now, uh, Eric, you've written a, a very popular, um, what is it, a blog post, right, about source control how-to? Well, I sometimes call it an online book because it's a it's a body of material that I do intend to, to turn into a Dead Trees edition at some point. But, okay. Um, and it, so it is. It was originally structured to be somewhat like a book. It's got chapters and, and things like that. But yeah, it's just a. It's sort of a basic, you know, writing about how to do source control. It, it's something I've observed that uh, when I started writing this material, it just seemed like there's a hole. There's there's not a lot of people teaching the basics of how to do source control. I I actually shot my mouth off when I started writing that uh, you know the universities don't teach how to do source control and. About a day later, I got mail from my advisor um, back at back at the university saying, "Well, your 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 university actually does teach source control now." And you just haven't been there in a while. Well, I haven't been there, and he said, "Thanks to your smart remarks, you can come over and give the two lectures on it this year." Ah, great. <laughs> so I had to go teach source control, but and this document or collection of documents we're talking about is at shrinkster dot com slash o two four oscar two four. Um, so it's kind of, um, it's kind of great. I think that a guy who sells a source control product also has completely come clean about how to do it. You know, uh, you know, just, you've given a lot of information away. Well, it's actually, you highlight a problem when I write, um, I, I wanted to write something that was useful for people who didn't necessarily use my product. I don't try and hide my biases. Um, the fact is, you know, I would prefer that everyone bought my product, no question. But the bottom line is there's some other good products out there. And so I tried to write something that was quasi-objective. And, I, you know, at times I don't hide my shameless bias and, and so forth. But uh, right. by and large, I've, people tell me that I have been mostly objective in pointing out and mentioning other tools. And, and that's been the goal. So whether you're using Vault or Source or Subversion or, or whatever, my hope is that... Uh, if nobody ever taught you these basic principles about how to use source control, my material would be helpful. I like the church of edit, merge, commit. (laughs) (laughs) The church of. (laughs) Yeah, we're back to that again. Well, people get real religious about that point, you know? They do. And uh, what is edit, merge, commit? I think we were were talking about this before. This is just the cycle of... Basically what it is is... um, when you edit a file as part of a team, you, you edit a file that is in the repository. The question is, do you have exclusive lock on that file or do you not? That's what it comes down to. The, the traditional model is before you edit the file, you grab an exclusive lock and no one else can edit the file. And you make your changes and you check them in and then you release the lock. The, uh, the more modern model is um, you, don't, you don't grab a lock at all. You just start editing the file. And when it comes time to check it in, if the version you started with is the one that's still current, you can just check your changes in. Otherwise, what you need to do is grab changes from the repository and merge them into your copy, make sure everything still works, and then check it in. Uh, but there again, it's about concurrency. By using this edit, merge, commit model, you allow more people to work at the same time with the slight risk that that merge step that I just described might be painful. And we, we mentioned this before, or you mentioned it before. It's not like the merging happens at the, uh, you know, like some magic happens and it'll automatically figure out what to throw away and what to keep, but, but it'll warn you that says, oh, such and such so and so has 
change this file too. Go beat them up or whatever. You guys work it out and then check in the golden copy, right? Well, actually, there is a little magic there. Huh. The uh, We have these algorithms that I call auto-merge, and um, this is the part that scares people. This is the part that makes it... Um, uh, makes it a religious war uh, because some people don't trust those algorithms, but the fact is they've sure. been in use for 15, 20 years. But the uh, the bottom line is most of the time the source control tool can automatically merge your changes together safely. And in the cases where it knows that it's not safe, it will throw up its, hand, its hands and say, hey, sorry, software is not smart enough. I need people to resolve this. And then you have to resolve it. Um, but you know, you talk about the religious wars. There are people who just absolutely refuse to use edit merge commit because they're terrified of the case where the source control tool will automatically merge and silently do it wrong and never tell anyone. Right. And I can't think of an instance when I've seen that happen. I've been doing edit merge commit for, I don't know, 10 years. I've, I don't think I've ever seen it happen. I'm just briefly trying to think of a situation in, you know, in the five seconds that I've been thinking about it, I can't, but <laughs> I'm sure if I thought about it long enough, maybe I could come up with something. I've seen a lot of people um, have that religious fear of it as well, just, just because they don't um, trust other members of their team to merge the changes correctly. Yeah. Um, in, oh. in which case, they've got other problems, you know, other than the fact they're not using the tool right. It's, you know, they need to, they need to work that one out. Um, it's more of a cultural issue at that point. Yeah, but that, that's a big, that's a big blocker. You know, um, you'll check my change in wrong, and well, yeah. But if you don't let them merge, then they'll just ignore your change. They'll just, you know, make their file read right in their local file system and go and edit it anyway, and forget to forget to upload their change. So. I think all you got to do in that case is threaten to bring in a motivational speaker for a day. <laughs> You know, if you guys can't trust each other, we're going to bring in a motivational speaker who lives in a van down by the river. Okay. So incentives are good. Yeah. Yeah. And he's going to make you all play uh, group work games until you hate everybody and everything. We're going to go out in the woods blindfolded in a line, you know, with everybody holding hands. Uh, <laughs> Either learn to do this or, or we're going to have to do trust falls for the rest of the week. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Don't make me get get a motivational speaker, because I will, young man. I'm telling you, that's a threat. Okay, branching. Branching technique. What is branching, and why is it scary? Um, Martin, you want to try this one? <laughs> in, the, in the... So I've been doing, you know, I've been software developing for nearly 10 years now which is not you know not as long as you guys but still i've been i've been developing for a little while and i've only needed to branch a couple of times in in my life until until i started work at team price that was and that's because a lot of a lot of times you know in a in a sort of business environment you work on one version of something you deliver it it then goes into a drawer and gets maintained but nobody you know there's no huge work on on that because you've solved that problem now um, branching is really useful when you want to speed up development, say, by working on something um, in in parallel. So, you know, you want two people to go and work on some a set of files. Um, you want them to be able to check in their changes to the server, and then you want them to come back at some point in the f- future and merge those files together. I used uh, to call that who, forking the code in yeah, my day. Yeah. So it's scary because... Um, the longer you leave it until you until you come back and do the, you know until you merge it, the more changes that have happened to that code. The harder the the harder the job is to merge the code, and that's kind of you know the point of continuous integration is that you're merging all the time, and and so you don't have that pain of merging anymore. But when you go off and you know you branch somewhere else and then you merge back into the main line of code, you, you're going to have some pain because the code's changed a lot while you're off doing your little thing. Isn't it basically a branch just an extended checkout you, you've gone you, you know the typical checkout that you've done is just that normally in a development cycle i want you checked in every day because the longer you're checked out the harder you're going to have the tougher it's going to be to check in a branch is just an admission you're not going to be back for a while 
Well, kind of, but when you, when you, when, so when you branch the, the, the sort of normal way it works in source control systems is you, you go and branch to somewhere else in the source control system. So you might have the code in, say, um, uh, you know, I work for Team Prize, so Team Prize trunk, you might have the code there, and then you might branch into Team Prize branches. And so you actually copy the code from one part of the source code repository to the other. But the key here is the source code the source system remembers where you branched from and what versions of files were at that point in time. But right. um, Eric can talk about the details of how it works. And um, when you take that copy and you move it off somewhere else, you are saying, "Okay, I'm going away from the main line of development here, the main the main code development for a while." But I still want to be able to check in my code. I'm not going to keep code checked out for four weeks, you know, because what happens if I get run over by a bus or my machine blows up? There's no backups, and you know, even back to not using the source control system at all. So by branching, you move in the code somewhere else in the repository as a little, you know, working area. And then when you're happy with it, you're not going to pollute the code. You know, you're happy that this code is good. Um, you can move it from your little working area back into the main uh, the main line of code, but you know you've had backups and check-ins the whole way along, and if you needed to roll back inside your little branch, then you still can. And presumably, you've done some builds with your branch as well. Yeah, you would you would want to, yeah. And so we actually have builds that run off our branches. So there's a few different branch models around, and one of the ones that people sort of first come to is is, is a branch by release model where. So you release version one of your software, you take a branch at that point, and you've got version one exists as its own directory, and then you go and work on version two in the main line of code. You know, all the code gets refactored and new features get added in, and then somebody rings up and says, hey, I've got a, you know, a bug with your product. You know, obviously nobody does that with us, but uh, in a oh, no. it happens. And, um, I've heard it happens somewhere. <laughs> so they ring up and say, hey, we've got a, a bug with your product. Um, you then... You want to check in the change to to, to put that bug, to, to fix that bug in your code, but you don't want to have to um, ship them like all the half-baked features in version right. 2 that you're working on. Yeah. You want to make that fix on version 1. So you make the change um, into the, your version 1 branch, and you have a build running against your version 1 branch, and then you can then merge that change also into version 2. So we, we actually have builds running on our different versions as well, so that as soon as we make a change, if any changes get made into any of those, then a, you know a build report gets run, that sort of thing. Yeah, that's that's basically what we have done in the past in the software projects that I've worked on is branching by release or yeah. forking. Yeah. So the other area where I'd actually used it before, before um, coming to TeamPrize, was in a branch by feature. So that's more where you're trying to get you're trying to get more productivity out of your team. So branch by feature is, um, say, you've got a really big e-commerce website, say, for somebody, and you want some people to go off and work on, um, I know, a hotel booking system, say, and you want some other people to go off and work on Kayaha booking or flights, you know, selling flights, something like that. Um, and you want those things are kind of on in their own little area, but they share some some sort of core features of the website, and they all get deployed into one area. So that's that's where you do a branch a branch by feature. So you all, all go off work on what you want to do, and then at some point those features have to merge into this one main bit of code, and that's the point where you have pain. So a key to reduce the pain there is to take regular merges from the main part of the code into your feature branches, so that 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 integration pains you know spread out across the whole de- development cycle not just not just comes at the end you know at 4 a.m in the morning when everybody wants to go to bed well if you're doing branch by feature don't you also and you get a bug you you still want to go back to the release uh, the version that they had the bug in to do to do the bug fix right totally and you need to remember to merge it into your main line and then make sure that change gets merged everywhere else Right. And again, that's why branching is scary because you, you kind of have to you have to have discipline when you're using it and make sure things get merged into the appropriate parts of code and that sort of thing. So yeah, that's another reason why branching is scary because you have to trust everyone to use the source control system properly. So there's sort of this commitment if you're going to branch to go through that significant pain of reintegration of the branch. Yeah, and if you can avoid it then it's a good thing to avoid. You know, you've got to weigh up the benefit of of branching versus how how much pain it's going to add to you not to be scared of it but um yeah you know look at look at is this going to save me time in the long run 
that's something I say sometimes is, you know, in fact, I think I might have said it in Source Control How To, is that a branch is like a puppy. You don't get one unless you're going to take care of it. Because it, it's a great thing if you've got one. Um, it allows you to work concurrently, but you can't get a branch and ignore it. Or if you do, then you never needed the branch to begin with. So in our case, like we branch on release, we also branch on feature every now and then when a special circumstance comes up. So at any given time, we've got two branches, sometimes three, and I think we had one case where we had four. And that's a lot of concurrent development going on, and um, and it just takes a discipline to manage it. You know, you 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 can't have four different things going on in a company our size. Uh, without uh, without paying attention, you gotta you gotta use some discipline, like Martin said. So, you think there's a lot of old pain around branch branching and source control in general? I mean, this is a theme that comes up over and over again in .NET Rocks. Is that you know people experience a problem with a particular technology or a particular thing, a technology of the day, and because there's a bug in it, and it to- it could totally ruin stuff. Like it could totally just screw up your project, irreversible, you know, lost millions of dollars, whatever. And then, you know, 10 years down the road, this person has that painful memory and therefore won't ever trust this technology again. That person has a problem. I mean, that that person is a problem because... And it's very common in our customer base, I'll be honest. Um, People bring us their old hurts, you know, I was I was abused by my source control tool as a child, and I'll never trust yours. Right, <laughs> right. And you know the fact is, look, that was a bug that was fixed. Get over it. You know that doesn't exist anymore. Well, you know, <laughs> we've tried the get over it line in our tech support team. It never works very well. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's, it's I'm better talking, than the bummer dude line. I'm talking to my audience. Just be well, aware yeah. that you know this is a good piece of advice. Be aware that you have these psychological tendencies and try to overcome them. But it makes for. Let me tell you a quick story. We we get all kinds. I'll say this, and 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 folks, if you are a source here customer, and I'm about to make fun of you, please know we love you. But here's the deal: uh, <laughs> we love you, but some of you are wacky. <laughs> we uh, we get people who are so afraid of branching that they go to great lengths to avoid it. Um, I remember a case or two where somebody would call up and say, "Hey, I'm I've got a problem. I've got two separate repositories, and I need to get them all back together into one." And I, we say, "Well, how did you end up with two? Well, we had." We needed um, part of our team to go off and do something different, so we made a copy of the repository, and each half worked on the sa- on on, each, on one copy. And we said, "Well, why didn't you use the branch command?" Well, we would never use branch. Um, yeah, that right. Would, that would be too scary. Well, sir, isn't what you did a branch? Except you didn't use the features of the product to help you do it. Well, no, no, we would never branch. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So, I mean, these these hurts in our past cause us to do irrational things sometimes. They do, and they could and they could be a real problem, is what I'm saying. Yeah, Absolutely. Totally be a problem. So, uh, Martin, uh, you talked about branch by release and branch by feature. Um, are there any other models that we should uh, talk about? Well, um, so there's some some people use uh, again it's a, a branch is a little scratch area you can go and work in so another methodology is called branch by developer so that's where um a developer need you know wants to go and work on some stuff um but doesn't want their things normally like a collection of features or maybe an idea they want to try out and they can go and work in their little sandbox area which has got a copy of the main code in go yeah. and work on that in a developer branch and then check that you know merge that code in from the developer branch into the main line when they're happy with it I sort um, of a vision of like designing a new UI paradigm for your app where yeah, you're going to so touch or, everything. Or a little, you know, hey, I'm just going to go and try something here. I'm not sure if it's going to work, um, but it's going to take me uh, more than a day. So I want to check it in, you know, overnight so, so I don't lose it. So that's where that comes from. You up. ever have the situation where people will just go off on the weekend, take the code that they have, it's not checked out or checked in? take it off the source control system and then just go mess around with it and then come back and say, hey, I've actually come up with something good. Can I get this into the to the system? I'm, how do you resolve that? Well, they, I mean, yes, it happens. Um, heck, I've done it. And if, I, if I'm veering off into something that I think might fail, um, I won't even do the branch. I'll just snapshot the code and go hack. And if I succeed, 
then I have one kind of problem, and if I fail, I have another kind of problem. Right. <laughs> so if I if I succeed, my problem is that I need to retroactively go back and make a branch. Um, but I'm happy to do it because I succeeded. So um, there again, you know, it's it's the discipline of uh, uh, of doing what you have to do when you're doing multiple things at once. And you can obviously do that branch without over you know overriding the code that you just wrote. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Just create another branch and then copy your code into it or, or merge it into Cut it as, as appropriate. <laughs> sometimes the right thing to do, and this may sound her- heretical, but sometimes what you want to do when you've just finished and succeeded at doing some sort of weird, funky change that you were unsure about, mm. sometimes the right thing to do is create a branch and then redo the change. Yeah. It's like forcing yourself to do a code review. Mm. Yeah. Everything I just did, I did when I was at 2 a.m. on way too much caffeine. You know, right. maybe I'll do it again, and re- that'll force me to review every line I touched. Right. <laughs> as long as I can thing. remember what I did. Yeah. <laughs> and if I can't do it twice in a row, then it makes me wonder why it worked the first time. <laughs> did it really work? Yeah. So we've been talking about Vault all this time, and anyone who doesn't know who you are um, probably doesn't know what the heck we're talking about, or maybe they do. But uh, this is your uh, y- y- your product here for source control, right? Uh, just you know, let's tell just tell us about it. Well, okay, so a little background. Um, Vault is our source control tool. It was originally designed specifically to replace SourceSafe. We uh, have been sort of servicing the SourceSafe market with a with a remote access tool called SourceOffSite for almost 10 years. And somewhere along the way, our customers started telling us, uh, you know, you should just, instead of just providing remote access to SourceSafe, why don't you just write your own? You know, you could, you could do this better. And, and while you're at it, can you fix this and yeah. fix this and fix this? Well, eventually we just listened to them and we created, um, we created our own version control tool. And, um, like I said, from the beginning, the goal was to create something that from a source safe user's point of view would be a real painless transition. So we used, we have all the same features. We have all the same terminology. The, the product looks very similar from a user perspective. Um, all the differences are, are just under the hood. And uh, when you lift the hood of the product, you see that, um, it's built for reliability, and uh, it has things like atomic check-in transactions and uh, all your data stored in SQL Server instead of um, in a proprietary format that only three people know the, know the details of. So, um, I mean, bottom line, you know, it's it's not a revolutionary source control tool. I can't, you know, I can't say that, man, we reinvented the concept. Um, we just took something that was familiar and and, and despised. And we implemented something that was familiar and loved. And, and it's not too expensive, is it? I mean, you know, I saw the the vault ads, you know, the full page ads that look like a movie poster, which was mm-hmm. very cool, by the way. And I thought, ooh, that's got to be an expensive product. But it, it really isn't, is it? No, we've tried to be very affordable. Um, our uh, our pricing now is you know in the in the ballpark of two hundred dollars per user, and it's um, pretty reasonable. Yeah, it's we we don't want to. Uh, we don't want to be too expensive, and at the same time, we don't apologize for the fact that we charge two hundred dollars when there's there's good open source alternatives. And mm-hmm. if you know, if people, I mean, last uh, last month at SD West, somebody uh, came into our booth and said, "I've heard great things about your products, but I just can't fathom paying for it." And I said, "Subversion's a good tool." <laughs> you know? There you yeah. go. Yeah, have a good so, time. Yeah, I mean, don't fact, call me if you have a problem with it. Right. Right. I I think at at two hundred dollars or so, we're the the least expensive, credible source control tool out there, you know, in terms of the, the the commercial products. So we're happy with that. And you do have a mixed mode. I mean, yeah, I can I could have my Linux developers work with Source Gear. You know, all of these different products, uh, all these different environments cooperate. The fact is, actually, right now our cross-platform story has been real weak. I, I'll be honest about that. Um, that is something that is that is about to change in our 4.0 release, but um, today the answer is that you can use Vault on Linux if you're willing to go through a certain amount of pain, but mostly I describe Vault as a Windows-only product. Right. Um, that this summer that will change with 4.0, and uh, we're we're definitely committed to being more cross-platform on the client side. Although the fact is our server will is Windows-only and will stay Windows-only. 
But on the client, we want to be able to support mixed environments. Uh, and that's just part of our product growing up. You know, product's almost five years old now. Um, it's, it's maturing and it still has, uh, still has more stuff we want to do to improve it. So. So speaking of SD West, what's up with the your code is suboptimal t-shirt? <laughs> <laughs> what okay, is that so, all about, Richard? <laughs> I just keep reading. You obviously had a huge hit at SD West with these t-shirts. Yeah, the shirt thing went over really well. Um our so our new our original ad campaign was a movie theme. You've already mentioned it. Our our new ad campaign that we have been rolling out this year is a comic book theme. And we, you may see our ads around. They're basically one-page comic strips. And we created this comic character called we call the Evil Mastermind. He has no other name. He's just the Evil Mastermind. And he has uh, a horde of minions who are all programmers working on his maniacal world conquest type projects. And as a promotional effort for that, we created this T-shirt with the evil mastermind on the on the front saying, your code is suboptimal. And anyway, <laughs> we gave away about 800 of those shirts at uh, at SD West, and they ended up being quite popular. And, and interesting things I found that, you, that were hits around this as I was reading was you actually had shirts in size other than XL. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so fit a range of humans. That's an interesting idea. We tried to have a shirt for every possible size, although we, we did run out of the small sizes a little earlier than we wanted. But Which is just proof of that you were right. You, yeah. You know, they, they actually making shirts in different sizes would be useful because the shirt you didn't run out of was XL. That's true. Who drew the picture of that evil mastermind guy? All the uh, all the comic work is being done by uh, one of the guys on our marketing team in-house. Oh, um, it's really talented, he or she, whoever it is. <laughs> His name is John Woolley, and uh, he joined the company a little less than a year ago when I was uh, I was looking for a marketing hire. And you know, to be honest, I don't think we would have done this comic book campaign if we hadn't run across a candidate for the hire who had worked in the comic book industry. Right. <laughs> you know, as soon as we as soon as we started interviewing him and hired him, we started thinking, "Wow, you know, we could do this, <laughs> and it would just be cool." So. It's really cool as well because m- members of uh, the team are, are sort of featuring the adverts of different minions and things. So I'll leave you to imagine who the evil mastermind was based ah. on. Ah. <laughs> so yeah, are you we, actually as arrogant as this .NET Rocks episode uh, makes you sound? Uh, no, I, I like to think I'm not. You know, there are people who would say I am. But hey. You were uh, uh, Eric was polling for um, a program manager or something on his blog, and he had this fact at the end of the thing, and one of the questions on the fact was, are you actually as arrogant as this blog post makes you sound? (laughs) (laughs) No, no, I'm not. And to explain that, you see, I mean, the whole theme of my job posting was this, uh, was a playoff of Kill Bill when, um, you know, I was looking for somebody to be my marketing apprentice and I was going to be Pi May, the the ruthless, inhumane (laughs) teacher. And (laughs) um, anyway. Yeah, okay. (laughs) Comparing myself to an all-powerful martial arts expert just seemed t- terribly arrogant, but I couldn't resist. <laughs> so, so Martin, is this better or worse than being on Letterman? Do you think? Oh yeah, you, you read you read Eric's post. <laughs> yeah. Oh yes. <laughs> You're just digging up all the old stuff, aren't you? Well, you know, we got we actually read that letter on the on the air, so I wanted to bring that back. No, well, there you go. Well, I, I read out, you know, who'd been on Letterman last week to my wife as well, and you know, she she knows nothing about it. You know, she she has no idea what my job's all about. She thinks I'm crazy sat here at the computer all day. But yeah, she was like, she hadn't heard of any of the people on Letterman, but she heard of uh, one of the people that had been on uh, Donette Rocks in the past three weeks. Well, there <laughs> yeah, you go. The my, my paycheck. Well, there you go. There you go. All right, guys. Any uh, any final thoughts? Any. Best, if there's one best practice to source control or continuous integration, you know, one little nugget of wisdom that maybe we haven't. Uh... There's one thing I've been meaning to say, and I couldn't find out where to say it. I'll just say it now. Um, you know, talking about continuous integration makes me want to extend a word of sympathy to the people who, who for various reasons, just can't do it. Um, I used to have some friends on the on the Autodesk um, team, the AutoCAD team. Right. And, you know, the last time I talked to those guys, their build cycle was between nine and ten hours. Oh, wow! So the idea of continuous integration for a team like that, where I mean, they can't even do they can't do daily builds because if they started the build every morning, it would 
it would see a whole day after dinner. Wow. So the, uh, I mean, I'm sure there's things that they can do to improve their practices, but they have actually some genuine reasons for having a hard time implementing continuous integration the way some of the rest of us can. And, and partly that's just, you know, like I said, word of sympathy to people who have different kinds of problems than we've been talking about. I'd like to acknowledge that we're not the center of the world here. Yeah, um, but the second thing is that if you're listening to this and you're one of those people who can do continuous integration, by all means be doing it because some people aren't as privileged as you. <laughs> That's right. So, bottom line, it's a good thing, and if you can do it, go for it. For me, I would just like to, um, source control uh, about source control. It's not a replacement for you know just because you've got source control, don't stop talking to the rest of your team. It's uh, you still have to communicate with everybody. Yeah, that's communicating through a bug tracker. Not a good way to build a relationship. Yeah, it's yeah. like doing uh, you know conversations over email. Not good. Yeah, no, okay. just wait till you get your Star Trek communicator and you just tap your chest and go. <laughs> Product manager. Yeah. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah. And on that note, guys, thanks very much for joining us here for this hour. It's been uh, been fabulous to have you back, Eric, and thanks for coming on the show, Martin. Good to talk to you. Thank you. Thank you. All right. We'll see you next time on .NET Rocks. .NET Rocks is recorded and produced by Plop Productions. Providing professional audio, audio mastering, video, post-production, and podcasting services. Online at www.pwop.com. .NET Rocks is a production of Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter and offering custom on-site classes in Microsoft development technology with expert developers. Online at www.franklin's.com. .net. For more .NET Rocks episodes and to subscribe to the podcast feeds, go to our website at www.dotnetrocks.com. Got a